This is the Canna Curio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases. Welcome to the Canna Curio Podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by David O'Brien of the Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association. But as always, before we jump in with David, let's check in with Ed and see what news he's learned from the Data Vault this week. Ed? Hey, Amanda. Um, so most recently, we put out a blog post on California micro businesses. So these were envisioned as ways to help mon and small operators be able to compete in the cannabis industry out there. So some of the interesting things that we found was we dug into what activities did each owner choose to participate in because it's a little bit of, you know, make your own adventure. So what we found is that 97% chose distribution as one of the six things they'd like to do. And 91% chose manufacturing and uh, cultivation rounded out the top three. So kind of interesting, especially on the distribution side. And then just to look at how many things people chose, um, 71% chose three activities to pursue out of a possible six. So we thought that was you know kind of interesting to dig in and, and get a little bit more detail on a, on a set of licenses that uh, is pretty rare you know, out in the cannabis economy. Yeah, definitely. So in, in terms of the micro business, what defines a, a micro business and are they local to California? So the way it's set up in California is they're really a choose your own adventure, as I said. So you have to choose three out of the six activities and they tend to be retailer, uh, delivery, cultivation, but it must be less than 10,000 square feet distribution or distribution transport only or manufacturing and it's a specific kind of manufacturing so you know we just view this as a way for them to have that craft cannabis and really control a lot more of the value chain as opposed to if you just choose one activity and the point about is it unique to california that's where the most active micro businesses licenses are but we've seen movement in other states that include like Illinois and uh, I believe Massachusetts um, and a few other places because I think a lot of the regulators see it as a way to make the uh, business more accessible to um, not just big companies to come in and sort of you know take over all the licenses. Understood hence the mom and pop connotation there. Exactly. And then in addition, we've also been keeping an eye on hemp. Uh, that's been a, a lot of what we've talked about in the data vault. So one thing that we're seeing more of is food and hemp or CBD and hemp being licensed. So we've seen that in Florida and Louisiana. We've done some blog posts on that. And one of my senior research people just pointed out that Texas is also moving that direction. So it's kind of interesting to me to see that sort of along the southern tier of the U.S., we're seeing this happen and something to keep an eye on because one thing we've certainly learned with cannabis regulation is that once one state comes up with a program that seems pretty rock solid, other states will borrow that regulation so they don't have to start from scratch. So I'll be curious to see if these regulatory schemes roll out to other states. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, in that kind of same thought 
process here, Ed, do you think that it's going to be similar to the cannabis programs where they'll have different regulatory bodies overseeing these functions per state? Um, I think what we'll see is each state will do their own program. So down in uh, Florida, what they did is they just work with the regulators who already handle food because I think from a cost and from a complexity standpoint, some of these states are probably thinking, you know, this isn't cannabis. We don't need to create some big monolithic uh, regulatory structure. We already have regulators who do this stuff and have done it maybe for decades. So listen, we're going to deputize you to do this. Same in Connecticut, where the Department of Agriculture manages hemp if you're growing it or if you're processing it. But if you're going to manufacture it into food, that is handled by the Department of Consumer Protection that handles all the other food stuff. So I, I, I think my guess, my hypothesis is we're going to see more of this because it's easy to regulate. You don't have to create a whole bunch of rules and regs from scratch. You probably already have them on the books and you're just adding CBD in as an ingredient, which probably happens you know, with some frequency in that kind of uh, regulatory framework. So that, that that's my guess, at least at this point. Well, I'm curious to see if your hypothesis will come true. Thank you, as always, Ed, for the update here. When we come back, we'll be joined by David O'Brien, the president and CEO of the Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association. Stay tuned. The Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association is your trusted advocate for the responsible and equitable growth of the cannabis economy in Massachusetts. As the premier organization for cannabis-related businesses, MassCBA is working to create a vibrant industry that serves as a positive economic engine for the region and acts responsibly towards our partners, neighbors, customers, and government stakeholders. Visit masscba.com for more information. As promised, we are joined today by David O'Brien. We're so happy to have you on the show, David. Welcome. Sorry about that, guys. How are you? Doing great, David. How about yourself? Doing well, thanks. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, as I mentioned, everyone, this is David O'Brien with the Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association. Uh, David and the MassCBA have joined us as our most recent trade association partner here at Cannabis Media. And we'd love to learn a little bit more about yourself, David. Um, so when did you start working with MassCBA and in the cannabis industry? So MassCBA was founded actually back in December of 2017 uh, with the anticipation of the industry opening up here. As you know, um, adult use didn't start um, sales until the fall of 2018. Uh, but at the time, I was working as the East Coast Government Relations Director for Weed Maps uh, with a, a quite an emphasis on Massachusetts because that was the only state that was moving toward legalization at the time. So. I, I got my feet wet in this industry doing weed maps lobbying and then um, took over the Mass CBA full time as the president and CEO a little over a year ago. Wow. And what were you doing before you got into the cannabis industry? So my background is in sort of public policy and politics. I've worked in um, government, state government and the federal government um, back in the 90s and have worked on a number of presidential campaigns and worked on um, races up here in Massachusetts as well and uh, worked on the political staff of one of our former governors, Governor Deval Patrick. So a lot of um, policy campaign and uh, those were skills that lent themselves to 
getting the legislation passed in Massachusetts that the governor signed in the summer of 2017, and then obviously getting the industry perspective in the entire process as they write the regulations and continue to rewrite them even today. Wow. And so, David, why did you, you know, given your background in, you know, policy, why did you get into the the cannabis space? So it's an interesting question because most people who know me personally know that I'm not a, a, a big consumer of the product. So it's really about um, seeing uh, an opportunity in a state for a brand new economy, uh, the cannabis economy, and being the first state on the East Coast to be able to do this. I actually care about uh, having this done right. And how, what better way to do that than to jump in with both feet and being, again, being the only legal state for now a couple of years I think there's, um, like other states before us, uh, where Massachusetts has looked west to um, to build out its uh, infrastructure and regulations, I'm hoping that other neighboring states in the region, once they get to the point of legalization, will look to us to say, all right, you're the most recent state in our region. How did you do it? What can you teach us? Well, and that's a great segue because there's really – no better way to make things happen than to, in your case, run a trade association. I I used to uh, run part of a trade association when I was down in uh, D.C., and the thing that was so great about it was when people ask, what did you do? It usually boiled down to three things, and I've said this before to other trade association people. We're here to protect, promote, and inform for the industry, and and I, I think that model fits, and you know, I'm curious as you look at Massachusetts CBA and what you're trying to do, you know, does it fit into the protect, promote, and inform, you know, buckets uh, in, in terms of the things that you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, never more so, Ed, than today, I'll tell you. The uh, notion of protecting our industry um, from sort of policy that's misinformed, and there's a great example of it, and it's actually not COVID. It's last fall uh, when we had our vape crisis mm, uh, in right. Massachusetts. And the rest of the country was looking at us and say, what are you guys doing there? Um, we had our State Department of Public Health shut down all vapes. Um, now, the problem was they thought they were shutting down illegal market vapes, but also they were sending some sort of a message, I think, to the illicit market vapes, which was the only market that yeah, was exactly. open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they sent a message all right. Yeah, they sent a message and customers beating their feet to get there. Um, So the frustrating thing about that is I think that at the time, I think the public health perspective was, hey, there's a problem. Let's shut it all down until we figure it out. We raised our hands and said, we're the legal market. We're tested. We're tested more than anything. And it's 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 safe. We wouldn't be serving it otherwise. So uh, it took a lawsuit um, for the Cannabis Control Commission, which is the state entity that um, Mm. oversees the both the medical and the adult use market here. And within a month, they had the industry back up and running with, um, I will say, a little bit of um, further guardrails on things related to um, legal market vapes. But it was was an overcorrection for something that was not implied uh, in the the legal market. So that was frustrating. So that was probably an example of protecting Uh, in the promotion front, and Ed and Amanda, you, you and I have uh, all talked about this when we've seen each other at trade shows. One of the things that um, 
I think we have a real chance to do here in Massachusetts, and I'm hoping other states that come after us will follow it. We are very intentional in our goals toward social equity and economic empowerment. And if we're not talking about that every time we get together and gather as a group, and we're not messaging that in, in all of our communications that is broad to the whole um, cannabis economy, I think we miss an opportunity. And I think so many people I meet in the space that we ask to sign up and be members or just participate in what we do, we say, hey, would you be interested in being a mentor to an aspiring company that may be a single licensee, it may be a small manufacturer or a micro business or a single store dispensary. And we ask larger companies that have been at it for a while, would you sort of do a little hand holding, have a phone relationship with folks like that? I have not had one company yet tell me no. Wow. And it's because the, 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 the industry gets it. Most people in this industry understand its history, at least to the point of knowing how difficult it has been on some of our, our friends and neighbors who may have just had the unfortunate uh, occurrence of getting arrested for you know, having a small amount of what was then illegal on their right. person. And it's something that we, we, we lean into. I, I don't know how else to say it. And then on the informing front, for sure, during this time in COVID, um, for keeping people up to date, letting them know what we're up to, um, it's 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 never more been true than now for people. They're just hungry for information, and while everybody's safe at home or, you know, sheltering wherever they have to be, I think not everybody's on everybody else's email. And I think when it comes to the government or the Cannabis Control Commission communicating with everybody that's in the pipeline. I think they appreciate a central repository to do to do the communicating, and that, that has been us Yeah, that makes far. a lot of sense. Now, you touched on a couple of interesting things I'd like to dig into a little bit more. Uh, one is COVID. I'm down here in Connecticut, not too far away from Massachusetts, and if uh, I was keeping up with things correctly, it seemed that there was a bifurcation of how cannabis was able to be sold uh, up in Massachusetts where medical cannabis was considered essential but uh, retailer adult was not. Uh, what was that like for your members? Because I'm assuming it was pretty frustrating. Yeah, it was quite frustrating. And it, it, it again, I think goes to, if you know just enough about our industry, uh, you, you can make decisions that are not fully informed. I'll just say right. it that way. And I think knowing just enough about our industry, when we opened uh, two stores back in, I guess it was November of 2018, there were lines around the block. We were the first stores to open. It was a gross day. I went to both dispensary, one in Northampton, um, the other in Leicester, which is next to Worcester, Mass, and Central Mass. And the, it was a really gross day. It was rainy. It was cold. People waited in line for two and a half hours to get in. Um, there are still lines at stores. I think we have 38, or we had 38 open recreational uh, dispensaries across the state, just 38, by the way. And I, I talked to my my colleague who runs the trade association in Illinois. I think she told me they were up to 53, and they started in January of this year. So That's uh, right. we have yeah. work to do to open uh, open this uh, open the doors of opportunity wider to everybody that is aspiring to get into this business. Um, and the the frustration is that during COVID, um, the governor actually said at one of his press conferences about a month ago that he doesn't want uh, lines around the block and he doesn't want big crowds. Well, the argument to fix that is to institute the rules that are in place for medical, which is um, 
practicing social distancing, mm-hmm. curbside pickup, pre-ordering, um, and and now with uh, this new line of uh, how we're going to reopen, obviously practicing um, safety protocols for both your employees at your business, but also your customers and medical patients. Yeah. So the frustrating thing is the Cannabis Control Commission chairman said last week, he feels badly that we're the only state in the country that is not open for adult use and there's no relief from the federal government. Or until recently, there, there hasn't been any. Uh, there's no relief on the state level. There is a bill pending um, for Paycheck Protection Program. And that the Cannabis Control Commission already oversees many of these uh, dispensaries that are open for business with health and safety protocols in place. And if they want to amp it up, they are confident that they can amp that up within like two days. Huh. So it's frustrating because the agency who has the oversight has publicly gone on the record and says, we can yeah. do this. Yeah. Well, you know, fingers crossed that that gets straightened out sooner rather than later. The, the only other data point I heard was that perhaps not surprisingly, many people in Massachusetts decided that they could uh, deal with having a medical card in their possession if that was going to help them get into the stores that were open. And so that's sort of one of those unintended consequences that uh, sometimes public policy creates, you know, sort of the different incentives. Yeah, so there definitely was an uptick uh, from the month of March to April for medical cards. Uh, they made it easier for patients to apply and get it. You didn't require it. I don't believe you required an in, in-office in doctor's visit. Um, and there was like a 254% increase from one month to the next. So demand found its way. And I would argue that um, customers didn't stop consuming. They may have gone back to, yet again, the black market. So it's going to be great to see how this uh, cannabis economy flows if we get a year of uninterrupted sales <laughs> right. on the adult use right. market. I mean, hopefully those numbers uh, fly off the charts and, and it's done safely, which we fully anticipate it will because it had been for as long as it had been open and generates tax revenue both for the state and for localities. Yeah. Now, uh, earlier you talked about you know how to be more inclusive as an industry, and just today I saw a headline that uh, talked about a change in the economic empowerment program where the ownership threshold dropped really low, like 10% from 51%, and there was seemed to be a lot of concern among you know those who have been really trying to push this program forward any thoughts, comments, or observations uh, on that, or is that still sort of a breaking news story? Yeah, it's. It, I, I won't say it's breaking because it actually came up. A notice had gone out from the Cannabis Control Commission, um, I think the beginning of April, and I had, I had I had missed it, to be honest. And some folks told me about it last week, I think, and it was days before it started to bubble up a little bit more and the Cannabis Control Commission is meeting monthly right now, and they met last Thursday, and it was a topic they discussed. And in essence, they're going to reissue the guidance because the current regulation is still 51%, mm. uh, and they may discuss whether that 51 um, has any give to it. Whether it's down to 10%, I'd be very surprised. But in the new regulatory round, they're going to discuss mm. it. Uh, my personal opinion uh, is... If we're going to, and this is informed by people who tell me in the, in the communities of color and dis, disproportionately impacted communities and, and other folks who are eligible for these programs, if they're going to create real change and create wealth in their communities, it's not about creating one millionaire. It's about letting that person run their company and building it out in their community 
so that others benefit from it. And that's not me saying it, it's others saying it. So um, I think there'll be robust discussion about it, but, but I would still support something that gives uh, an equity applicant, a social equity or an, an economic empowerment applicant, um, the ability to run their business the way they see fit. And if part of what they do is down the road, less than the amount of money or the uh, amount of equity that they have to run their company by, that should be their mm -hmm. choice. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be dumbed down, I guess, from the state agency, such that all they do is stand up um, a straw candidate and say, hey, you're you know, you're going to we're going to put you on as our person of color on our board. But we're going to make millions of dollars on that. It's just not yeah, fair. exactly. Exactly. Now, in terms of Massachusetts, you know, one last question I wanted to ask is that the state really is the only functioning uh, rec program in all of New England. Um, and I know that currently the governors have been trying to coordinate and harmonize the regulations, you know, as they march through this COVID crisis together. I'm curious if you think that may happen with cannabis so that you don't get people driving across state lines. A lot of the really booming mass uh, dispensaries are across the borders from New York and Connecticut and Rhode Island. So obviously there's a lot of pent up demand in these surrounding states. So how long do you think Massachusetts is going to be the, if you will, only game in town? And when might that change and have other states come on board with their rec programs in abutting states? Yeah, well, as you know, New York threatened to do it last year, but got hung up on, ironically, the, the very issue we're talking about, the equity issue. Uh, and sort of where proceeds would go, I think, was one of the hangups last spring. Uh, and then COVID hit this year, and they were putting their budget forward. And I've been in touch with their folks who are trying to stand up the industry in New York. New Jersey is now looking like it might be by ballot. So um, it's funny, while, while states are trying to harmonize, um, and I know Governor Cuomo led the way on sort of rallying his other um, Northeast governors to say, hey, if we're going to do this, let's let's sort of build it together and not build it separately. Um, I thought you were going to ask um, what percentage of people, like you were saying, sort of central mass, western mass, that are getting anywhere from you know 15, 20, 25, 35 percent of their sales from out of state. So the funny thing is, is if we're doing the protocols correctly under medical through the Cannabis Control Commission and we get allowed to reopen adult use and social distancing and non-crowding and pre-order and all the rest, why would we need to worry about where the customer who sits in their car to pick up their um, their product and has a mask on? What does it matter where they're from if we're not allowing clustering and crowding in parking lots and in mm. stores? It just, again, it feels to me like the cannabis industry will roll over when we're threatened rather than stand up for ourselves and say, you're not asking Walmart to check people at the door and the greeter says, I'm sorry, sir, you know, you're coming to Western Massachusetts and you have a New York ID. We can't serve you. Well, that's why they need David O'Brien to protect, promote and inform for the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I Ed. love that. I love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, switching gears a little bit here, David, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, regarding the, the trade association partnership program uh, that we run here at, at Cannabis Media, um, being one of our, our new recent members, um, you know, I wanted to ask, why did you join, decide to join the, the program? 
Well, in part because I met you and I met Ed, and you were so welcoming to come uh, and join into the You're program. You're so kind. And I know you guys. I know you guys have tremendous uh, reach in the industry, and you 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 know what's working in other states, and you work with other other associations. I will tell you the the sort of funky thing about the timing. Again, leave it to COVID. I was due to onboard, I think, in March, and I think I kicked the date out a little bit, and then COVID hit. So. I am not fully onboarded yet, so once we come out from this cover of darkness uh, that is having us all trapped in, and I can get a little bandwidth and not be fighting with one one arm tied behind my back to open the industry, um, we are going to make full advantage of our of our membership with you all, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely you know looking forward to to onboarding you guys you know here within uh, within the cannabis media platform. Um, you know, as well as providing our current subscribers, you know, with some easier access to the mass CBA team, uh, as well as helping uh, our out-of-state license holders connect with other Massachusetts license holders. Um, now, for yourself, David, what would you say is the biggest achievement that you've had within the last 12 months, either corporate or personal? Um, honestly, the on the corporate front, and again, it goes to sort of one of our, our, our pillars of what we're trying to be as an association, which is inclusive. Um, I had to chase the um, Cannabis Control Commission for the list of social equity and economic empowerment applicants so that we could include them in everything we're doing. And it was like breaking into Fort Knox, but their reason was legitimate. Um, they didn't want the list going out to just anybody. They wanted to sort of not have equity applicants be um, be approached and, and be, be preyed upon, quite frankly. Um, now, the ironic thing is many an equity applicant had told me, oh, that's already happening. People find us and they say, hey, for a million bucks, can I, can I have your company? So building the trust in the, um, in the social equity and economic empowerment, as well as among um, women, veteran, LGBT um, licensees, as, a, as well as um, general applicants, we're about the aspiring company. There's another organization that serves sort of the, the sort of up and running vertically integrated legacy players. We're about the, the aspiring companies and, and we're really gratified that they have relied upon us, particularly now during these um, tough times to, to inform them and tell them what we're up to and what's happening that's impacting them and their businesses in real time. And David, with that framework of supporting and providing, let's say, scaffolding to those kinds of applicants and license holders, I'm curious, you know, what trends do you see at that part of the industry or that level of the industry? Like earlier, we talked a little bit about micro businesses out in California. I mean, do you see that as a as a thing or an opportunity in Massachusetts? It's a piece of it, Ed. Uh, the other piece of it is the uh, delivery licenses that are about to come come out. Right. The um, Cannabis Control Commission spoke about that last week, and they hope to have uh, pre-certification, I think they call it, out by the end of May. This is the timing they had they had planned um, at, in the last regulatory round was to put delivery out um, during this spring. And the idea is that delivery licenses uh, will have a two-year exclusionary period for just social equity or economic empowerment applicants, um, and they have to all be approved. Uh, you have to apply for that and through the Cannabis Control Commission and basically get on a list as I qualify for this. Now I want to open up um, a delivery license. So 
in, in particular, they did that because a lot of the sort of general licenses for uh, cultivation, for uh, manufacturing, and for dispensaries, sort of the big three, were not being awarded as of yet in, in um, proportional numbers to even the, the representation in the right. population um, to candidates of color or women or LGBT or veteran-owned businesses. And that's, you know, it's frustrating when you look at the math and you're like, you know, we, we are by intent in the legislation, the ballot question, the regulations, the commissioners talk about it all the time, the staff talks about it all the time, the industry talks about it a bit, and we just haven't gotten right. there yet. So our hope is some of the delivery licenses will, if they, any delivery licenses are given out, they're given out to equity and empowerment applicants. And our hope is to see more and more um, licensees be awarded, or licenses be awarded to uh, applicants from, from both of those pool of applicants, the equity and empowerment applicants. And pools. David, is there any restrictions put on what happens after that license is granted? I, I think down in Florida where they had some funky rules when they were giving out those medical licenses that you, know, you had to be a nursery in business consecutively for 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people just sat on the license and then flipped it as soon as they could for 30, 40 million dollars, like, you know, overnight or they'd wait a bit, but they never ever put seeds in the ground. I mean, are, are there any restrictions on those delivery licenses or are they granted? And then, you know, somebody could just go in and buy it from them. Yeah. So we, we don't know yet because we haven't issued any. That's, I don't mean to be smart ass about that, but that's true. Um, the other thing is the, the commission thought ahead that if you get one of these licenses and you have it, the two year starts when you open the business, not when you apply for it, you can get up to another 12 month extension. So it's effectively a three year license if you play mm. it right. Um, I would be shocked if someone gets the license but doesn't open it. Because if you open it, it's worth more than if you're gonna bring on partners or other investors True. or expand or right. sell it. Um, so. It really is a window of time that an applicant can make the most of it and hopefully be super successful and scale yeah. up. Yeah, well, I guess if I had an asset and I could say, hey, I've got a 36-month runway, not 24-month, that makes it a heck of a lot more valuable if I do choose to sell it. But uh, hopefully it'll be successful and they'll be able to you know, run it and, and make money and uh, be uh, you know, a part of the cannabis economy. Yeah, and I do think if someone were to get it, not open it, flip it in six months, I think the commission would be wise to that because it, it, it's supposed to stay with a 51% owner uh, of that application category. Uh, makes sense. And if it doesn't, and remember, they, the commission renews your license every year. So if you don't still meet the criteria 11, uh, 13 months in, it's sort of like, well, you got it under, not under false pretenses, but I think they're watching it, I guess is the way to say it, because they're, they've been, um, they would like to see more uh, licensees from equity and empowerment come through the process, be awarded and be successful. Right. And you only need, they only need to make one example and then everybody else will fall exactly. in line. I mean, that's usually how that works. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's, if you've got, you know, if, I, I explain it to people in the in the industry, like if you don't think that we have all eyes on us, it's not just the people, the 46% of the voters who didn't vote for this in 2016. There are people that are rooting for us to fail and we 
I mean, it's, it's trite now during COVID, but we are truly all in this together because if, you know, if someone does something wrong in Southeastern Mass or the North Shore or Western Mass or Boston, it gets played in the press like it happens everywhere. Like when there were lines at the beginning of the opening of the industry, people thought there would be lines for everywhere, everywhere for years and years to come. Now, there are lines, but if you had 38 of anything open up in a state hmm. that people wanted, you'd have lines. If there were 38 gas stations in Massachusetts, I think oh, there'd brilliant. be lines. Yeah, David, I mean, you've given us so many uh, fantastic t uh, pieces of information and, you know, just great anecdotes that, you know, I, I think listeners that will get to dive into this podcast, you know, will will definitely uh, take away, you know, not only that you're incredibly informed and you have the best interests of the Massachusetts market, um, you know, but also to, you know, the, the Massachusetts. Massachusetts license operators, uh, you know, are, are probably very grateful to have you and the Mass CBA on their side. Uh, but thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. This has been fun. Well, Ed, let's take a look ahead and see what news we have to look forward to from uh, the data vault. Yeah. So looking forward, we've been trying to get more hemp data in as the season really gets underway. So right now, we're in process with Wyoming, Arizona, and Virginia. And then we just got some information in from Florida. It's only cultivators, but uh, it's the beginning of their program down there. So a lot of people are, are looking at that. And then on the can of curio side, I'm looking ahead to the one to write this week. And I think I'm going to dig into some licenses that really haven't seen much visibility through can of curio year to date, which are things like testing licenses, you know, the, the type of license that's not quite as prevalent. Not every state has them, but just to see where those new licenses have crapped cropped up uh, uh, so far this year. I'd be very interested in seeing what you and the team uncover uh, regarding the licenses, because uh, that definitely is something that we haven't highlighted too much on Canna Curio, but looking forward to the future and seeing what you guys uh, are able to, to present. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the Canna Curio podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.